not me. as you wait for the crown tell the world 
No idea. It's always up in the air. We're gonna. We can do it in between, or like at the beginning. Yeah. So, is there anything else in here, John? Yeah. Okay. No, I'll just, just got to remember which direction the toggle switch goes on this microphone because it's getting harder and harder to turn around and see that light. Um, the switch must be defective. That's the only thing I can come up with. Uh, need something brighter on there. Couple things before we get started. Uh, tonight, there is a Logan County Youth Worship Night, and some of the advertisement about this has been uh, from six o'clock to nine o'clock in the evening, and that's not completely accurate. It's, it's actually five thirty. Starts at five thirty to eight o'clock, and this is primarily geared towards students towards teenagers and that that age group but everybody is welcome anybody and everybody it's at the indian lake high school at their auditorium this evening uh cody's going to be there he's a part of this and uh and so i would encourage you if that's something that you want your kids to go to please do that and you can be there too by all means and that's uh that's this evening uh from 5 30 to 8 o'clock at the indian lake high school september 17th our student ministry kicks off Collide again for this year. Uh, that's the uh, 17th of, uh, of this month. They eat at 5 o'clock, and then they'll have their Collide time at 5.30. Uh, so keep those things in mind. <coughs> also, don't forget, <coughs> we did talk about WrestleMania already, uh, but that's a great place. If you want and need an opportunity to serve this body, uh, I talked to you a little bit about this last week. Uh, a lot of the things that we do with the kids kind of rests on the shoulders of, of adults with those kids, you know, crew leaders, that type of thing. Um, you know, a lot of people like to teach and a lot of people serve in different ways, but it really kind of rests on the shoulders of those who are willing just to spend the whole evening with the kids, lead them around the various opportunities and activities that we have here. So by all means, please talk to me, talk to Katrina, uh, if you want to participate in that. That's coming right up. Just keep those things in mind. Uh, we had the opportunity uh, yesterday to go down to the football game, uh, watch the Bucks play. And it was a lot of fun. It's always a lot of fun doing that kind of thing. Uh, you know the process, right? You want to get tickets, you mortgage the house, you get tickets, you go down and watch the game. That's how that goes. Um, but we're sitting there talking and watching the game, me and Sam and, and Ashley, and he's sitting in between us. She's on that end, I'm on this end. So we didn't talk, okay? Because uh, you can't hear that far. That was a full three feet. You can't hear that far when you're in the, in the stadium. Uh, but she got to talk to Sam, and I got to talk to Sam, and we're talking about different things. He he likes playing football, and he's playing football this year, and so forth. And a lot of a lot of people in this in this room or in this church are are coaching these kids. Uh, we're talking about just the the precision of what they do. Talking about it's, they make it look easy, you know, all this stuff. 
that they did. And we got to talking about the importance of discipline. How, yeah, you can, you can participate, you can do these things, but you have coaches, you have people that teach you, you have all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, it comes down to your own mind, your own heart, and the discipline that you want to put into it, right? And nobody else is going to do it for you. And, and at that point, then you see the difference. You see the difference between victory and failure. Ultimately, it comes down to your own mind, your own heart. Cole, you probably talk to your kids very similar to this. You know, it's just it really comes down to a decision that you are going to make, and nobody else is going to do it. They're going to going to help you. They're going to teach you. They're going to show you some avenues. They're going to try to make it sometimes easy, sometimes difficult and challenging. But ultimately, it is your decision, and nobody else can do this for you. We're going to see some of this today in Habakkuk's second complaint to God and how our holiness, our pursuit of the character of Christ is not a competition between you and someone who doesn't honor Christ. It is between you and whether or not you want to follow, be changed, learn, and desire the wisdom and character that comes with being like Jesus. I'll tell you what, sometimes in life this takes a while. But every time, every point, we see that when someone makes this choice, makes this decision, though it may be harder, it is better. It's better for them, and it's better for those around them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the chance to learn. We, we thank you, Father, for the chance to be challenged today, uh, to look at our lives, to look at our future, to look at our past. We thank you, Father, that you speak to our minds and our hearts. We ask, Father, that you help us to be challenged, to answer these different challenges in our hearts and our minds and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll turn to Habakkuk, if you will. Uh, this is going to be our last message in Habakkuk. After that, we're going to move to Nahum, which would be the prophet right before Habakkuk in Scripture. Uh, so we'll talk about him a little bit next week as he prophesies against the Assyrians. Uh, but today, we're going to finish up with Habakkuk. Last week, Habakkuk is looking at his own people. He's not looking at a separate group of people. He's not looking at a different culture. He's not looking at a foreign nation. He's not looking at people who don't honor the, the name of God. He's looking at his own people. And he says, I've got a real problem here because we have a spiritual issue. We got, so we're spiritually failing to honor the very God, the one and only God that we profess. And he says something. He makes a complaint to God. He says, what are you going to do about this? I look around all the time and I see injustice and I see sin and I see debauchery. When are you going to step in? When are you going to discipline? When are you going to correct? When are you going to punish some of these people who, who defile your name? And ultimately then... God says, all right, I will. I'm going to. I've always been going to at the right time, the right moment. Habakkuk wants revival. God's going to bring judgment. So he tells Habakkuk, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow the Babylonians to decimate your nation. You asked for it, Habakkuk? You got it. 
I'm going to allow, now this was not something that God just came up with spur of the moment. This has been prophesied hundreds of years or over a hundred years prior to Habakkuk. All right? this, God always knew that this was going to happen. But he does help to tell Habakkuk, in your day, this is going to happen. And that's God's response to this complaint from Habakkuk. Now we see Habakkuk's reaction to God's response today. And I told you last week, once he hears this from God, Habakkuk says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I didn't know we were going that far. I didn't know that was going to be the answer. We see this today. The Babylonians are far worse. They're a bad group of people. And God's going to use them to correct the Israelites. And so he's Habakkuk confronts him with these questions. Why or how are you going to use them to correct us? What's going to happen if they succeed? What will people do? What will people say? What will they think? Look at chapter 1 starting in verse 12. This is the second complaint of Habakkuk. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. That is, you, God, have appointed the Babylonians to execute judgment on the Israelites. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes, though, look at verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Look at this line. Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You see, God says, I'm going to send the Babylonians or allow the Babylonians to exact judgment on this group of people. And Habakkuk says, wait a second, they're worse than we are. How are you going to allow them to punish, correct, discipline a people more righteous than themselves? Verse 14, you've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked, the, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He's talking about the Babylonians, how they hurt people. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net, that is his own glory and his own power, and burns incense to his dragnet. That's, again, his own violence. He's praising his own violence. This is what the, the Babylonians do. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? This is what God said. God's answering Habakkuk's complaint. He's answering the problem that Habakkuk sees. He's just not answering it in the way Habakkuk wanted him to. Does God answer prayer? You know, I, I, I hear sometimes people say this. Well, it was an answer to prayer. It was an answer to prayer. And I agree. I think God answered prayers. Interestingly, though, every time I hear that, it's when the issue or the situation turned out exactly the way we wanted. Well, God answers prayers. Yeah, God answers prayers. Matter of fact, he answers prayers sometimes in ways that you don't want. In the ways that you didn't foresee. But he does it for your good and his glory. Even though we don't fully understand what he's doing, why he's doing it. And certainly not when he's going to do it. What have we said? Our job 
our role in this life is to trust God with our lives. That's, that's our job. The righteous will live by faith. If you believe in Jesus, you have been made righteous. What have you not been made if you believe in Jesus? We talked about this last week. What are you not? Good. Good. Righteous and good are not the same thing. We have been put in a right standing before God, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And we are to pursue that righteousness, right? But we get, we get opportunity after opportunity to submit our lives to Jesus. We get opportunity after opportunity to talk to him, to pray to him, to lay our lives out before him. And God answers what is heavy upon our hearts and our minds. Jesus doesn't answer it all the way the way that we think he should. This is what he's doing here with Habakkuk. He's answering the complaint of Habakkuk in his own perfect way. Now look, Habakkuk knows that this judgment will not be annihilation of his people. It will not be abandonment. It will be correction. He trusts God. That's what that whole verse 12, that first verse 12 was about. But God's answer has Habakkuk a little perplexed. Even more perplexed than he was before. There is an affront to the holiness of God by his own people. Habakkuk wants revival, God's sending judgment. All right, I can bend to that. So far, so good. But God's going to use a people far worse than the Israelites to correct them. And just so that God's aware, Habakkuk reminds God of the Babylonians and what they're like. That's what he talks about 14 through 17. Habakkuk thinks this should not be tolerated, nor should it be the answer for correction based upon God's holiness the helplessness of God's people, and the pride of the enemy. Leads me to the second question. You ever been corrected by God? You ever been corrected by God? And then, could you see the correction? Did you take the time to notice the correction? Did you respond to the correction? I've been corrected. There have been times I've said to myself, there have been times I've even said out loud to others, time for us to take our medicine. Time for us to take our medicine. And learn from this correction in our lives. This is what God wants for the Israelites. He wants, he wants for you and me personally. So do we notice the correction or is it just an affront to our own pride? You ever notice it's always somebody else's fault? Somebody else has just put us in this position. It's always somebody else's fault, right? But it's a correction in our own lives. Did you wrestle with it? Truly try to understand what God's doing, why he's doing it, and want to learn, want to be changed. Hebrews 12, we've talked about this verse before. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chases, chastens everyone he accepts. By the way, if that's something you realize that you're going through or have been going through, all right, that, that's a far cry from the things that we read about, for example, in chapter 1 of Romans, when God says, you know, eventually I give them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. It's almost as if I wash my hands of the whole thing. You know what? You want to reject me your whole life? There you go. It's quite the opposite when he chastens someone, corrects someone, 
disciplines someone. What does that mean? It means God loves you. It means you're still in the game. That's what it means. It means you still get to participate. And God cares about the correction of your own heart, your own mind. He cares about the correction and love and discipline of obedience of people around you, yes. But we started this by you looking at yourself, your own decisions, your own conviction. Nobody else can do this for you. It doesn't matter if you try to hide it or not. What do you care about? Do you care about becoming more and more like Christ? Or do you care about building your own kingdom? This is the struggle inside of a human being. Sometimes we nail it, sometimes we fail, right? Sometimes we're kind of proud of ourselves. Sometimes we miss the point completely. We can be tempted to look at the evil that crosses our path or the, the, the bad guys, if you will, that cross our path. The times that we suffer the times that things don't go the way we think they should, and we think that the bad is winning or, or, or evil wins. But listen, if we heed the correction of Christ in our life, is that necessarily the case? Is that really the case? If we're being changed and transformed because of the love of God being shown to us through discipline, for a moment, it's almost as though Habakkuk sees this the way we may see it. A competition between the righteous and the unrighteous. Comparing ourselves to those who hate God and suggesting that we are better or that they shouldn't be the instrument of correction. Therefore, perhaps we can even avoid correction altogether. But again, it's not a competition between the Israelites and the Babylonians. Notice the context. The Babylonians really have nothing to do with it. They make a decision. The Babylonians are going to make a decision to conquer the Israelites and half the known world. But God's focus is on correcting those who profess his name. They're going to learn from this. They're going to learn from a dark time and a dark road. Babylonians are simply the tool that God's going to allow to do this. We get tempted to say, look, he's bad, I'm good, bad things are happening to me, therefore God has nothing to do with it. But remember the whole story, it's not about the outward affliction, it's about the inward correction. It's not about the outward affliction, it's the inward correction. I mess this up. See, I got putting all kinds of wires and everything, I need to thank Brittany for that, you know. But it sounds good. By the way, I forgot that this was on during our worship time. And it was live. So, no one out there heard you saying they did hear me mess it up quite a few times. So if you're listening to that, take it with a grain of salt. Being recorded. Hebrews 12, 7, endure hardship. Endure hardship as discipline, church. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? You see, this was the point of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's not about how you look. It's not a between you and somebody else. It's not what people see. It's about the condition of the heart. It's about your holiness before God. It's not about your holiness compared to others and certainly not compared to the lack of holiness from an instrument of God's correction. No one else is going to hold you to this standard. 
only you. And church, that's spiritual maturity. You see, this is what Habakkuk wanted for his people. He wanted spiritual maturity. He wanted each individual person to realize that God is God, I am not, and I have an opportunity and an obligation to honor him and obey him in my life. You know, Paul says the same thing. If we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't come under judgment. If we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't come under judgment. Judging ourselves by the standard of a loving Christ. You're not earning your righteousness here. You're living up to the righteousness that you have been granted through Jesus. When Habakkuk hears this, when we experience correction in our lives, look, we could go off with an attitude. We could claim God is unjust. We could rest on our own pride. We could pretend that God doesn't care when we're in the midst of correction. Or we can wrestle with these questions of why and what I'm supposed to learn and what I'm, what I'm supposed to use. We could take the same tack as Habakkuk takes here. Look at the final statement of Habakkuk. When he didn't fully understand what God was doing, but he wanted to. After he makes this second complaint, chapter 2, verse 1, he says this. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. What answer I am to give, Habakkuk says, to the complaint that I made. I will wait. I will seek his answer. That's wisdom. That's spiritual maturity. I will wait upon the correct answer from God. And not only that, I will station myself on the ramparts. In other words, I will tell and teach others from this lesson as well. I will be ready with God's answer, his instruction, and the things I have learned, can learn, and will, will learn. You have ramparts in your own life, and it starts with yourself. That's your first rampart. You have others. You have friends. You have family members. You have the church itself, kids, grandkids. I will stand on the ramparts. I will gain the wisdom from my complaint. I will be humble before God, and I will endure this correction, and then I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to teach others. I'm going to tell others. I'm going to show others of a loving God, caring God, and the importance of obedience to God. That's wisdom, church. If you consider yourself wise, that's the response. The opposite of wise is foolish. You're either wise or you're foolish. Sometimes I think of myself as wise. Sometimes I think of myself as the deepest, darkest fool. I think every time we obey Christ, every time we pursue Christ, we can with confidence say that we are pursuing wisdom. But then God answers the second complaint in the second chapter of Habakkuk 2, for, two through 3. Then the Lord replied, look, write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. So he's about to reveal what will happen, not to the Israelites, Remember, Habakkuk already made a complaint about the Israelites, and God says, I'm going to send the Babylonians. Now he makes a complaint about the, about the Babylonians, and he's about to reveal what's going to happen to them. Because they made their own decisions. God is not manipulating the mind of the Babylonians. Remember, when we talk about God's will, there's two ways. There's desire and there's allowance, or desire and permission. God's simply allowing them. 
to live out the decision they've made to oppress the Israelites, and he's going to use that in order to correct the Israelites. And he's going to reveal, reveal what happens to the oppressors, the unrighteous. God's allowing them to do this in order to discipline, to keep the sharp edge on his people. But judgment is coming on the Babylonians as well. He wants this revelation to be given to the one on the ramparts so that he or she can do their job telling and teaching and training others. To give others the knowledge that God is on his throne and is not unjust. And what he's about to say will happen to the unrighteous, that is the Babylonians. Though it linger, wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. It reminds me of Asaph in the Psalms. It is one of my favorites. And this won't be on your screen, but Asaph wrestles with this same thing. He says, I look at the evil and it seems like they excel in everything. They have no cares. They have no worries. I look at the Babylonians, and they're going to come down and oppress the Israelites. Why do they always get it? Why do they always win? What does he say eventually? Asaph says, it's not until I entered the Lord's sanctuary that I actually began to understand that I'm being corrected. I'm having opportunity to serve God. I'm having opportunity to obey God. And eventually the proud, the proud are going to be brought low. The proud are going to be brought low. You see, God's telling uh, Habakkuk this same thing about the Babylonians. He tells Habakkuk that they're going to be punished as well for their wickedness. He says this through verse, verses 6 through 20, really, of chapter 2. But three of those verses really sum up well God's response to Habakkuk uh, to his second complaint. Verses 16 and 17, and finally verse 20. We're going to look at 16 and 17 first. You, he's talking to the Babylonians now, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them, and that is basically the prophecy that God is giving to the Babylonians after they come through and decimate, wipe out many, many nations in this area of the world. Are the righteous today not given this same promise? Given this same promise that God gives to the Babylonians before Habakkuk, the understanding that Asaph comes to in the Psalms, are the righteous not promised that there is going to be a return and a judgment of Jesus Christ? The judgment poured out on evil. Again, read through Romans chapter 1. Do we not have that same promise that the glory of Zion is going to be there for those who persevere to the end? Don't we have the promise of a new name, new clothes, banquet at the Father's table, while those who practice lawlessness are separated where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, though it linger, wait for it. I love what Peter has to say in Peter, uh, 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what your father wants. 
even the enemy, even your enemy, come to repentance. You know how you eliminate an enemy? You want to know the number one best way to eliminate an enemy? If you're an Abe Lincoln fan, you know this. The best way to eliminate an enemy is to make him your friend. Or in our case, a family member. God's patient in his judgment because he wants everyone to come to repentance. You, those that disagree with you, those who you disagree with, those at this time and this place are clothed with violence but may at one time in their life come to the understanding of who Jesus is. It's not about you and them. It's about your pursuit of holiness. And so if somebody else's life is holding back your pursuit of holiness, get over it. Get over it. God's not comparing the Babylonians and the Israelites. He's not comparing those who have fallen to those who have accepted Jesus. He wants everybody to accept Jesus. And he wants you to take responsibility for the pursuit of Christ in your life. So if somebody else is trying to prevent that, get over it. We love Jesus. We profess the name of Jesus. Instead, God's patient with you. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by a fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. It's the same promise. God just says, wait for it. Wait for it. We've talked about this before. How much of the Bible is about perseverance? It's not about getting it right every single time. It's about perseverance. Walking with Jesus, obedience to Jesus. He says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. It's a wonderful gift that we've been given. How do we know that we love Jesus if we obey his commands? And God, God finishes this, this answer, this prophecy, with, with an incredible finality in Habakkuk 2.20, he says this, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In other words, he reminds Habakkuk and you and, and me, I am in charge, and I know what's going on here. I've got this well in hand. Not only the life of Habakkuk and the Israelites, but you and the church and everybody you've ever met. The Lord is in his holy temple. And it's almost as if he looks at Habakkuk too and says, let the earth be silent before him. Right? Says the same thing to Job. Job, pal, buddy, let me run my cosmos. Your job is to trust me, to give your life to me, and to trust my holiness. The righteous will live by faith. The righteous will not live by having the answer to everything all the time. 
The righteous will not live by everything going their way all the time. The righteous will live by their trust in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we will say that God doesn't answer us the way he answers Habakkuk. I mean, this is a pretty blunt answer he gives to Habakkuk. And sometimes we think or we hope, we wish God would answer us in the same way. The truth is he does. And, and, and this right here in this prophecy is his answer to you and me. That's what the word of God is. It's his answer to you and me as bluntly as he answers Habakkuk. Write this revelation down, make it plain on tablets so a herald may run with it. And church, that herald has been running all over the world to your heart, to mine, to your home, to this church for over 2,600 years to give you this same answer. God's as blunt as he can be. He says, you've got to trust me in this life and in this world. That's your role. Now, nobody said it was easy, right? It takes practice. It takes discipline. If it was easy, everybody would do it, right? But church, don't forget that when you accept Christ, you have been called. You've been called. You've been called by God. Something in your heart, something in your mind, something in your life. The Holy Spirit works, and there's something there that says yes. There's something there in your life that responds. It's not easy, but it is possible. It is doable, and it is right, and it's good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that we could be that I was challenged. I thank you that I was challenged reading this, putting this together. Father, I hope that we are challenged, but that we will live up to it. This pursuit of the love and character of Jesus, that that's the most important thing, that, that we have the opportunity to trust him. We have the opportunity to believe the words of Christ, even if we have a hard time seeing the proof, even if we have a hard time knowing and understanding everything that you're going to do. Father, we need faith built into us. We need trust built into us. We need strength and courage. We don't ask for ease, but we ask for the strength and the courage to see it through. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that we have to believe Jesus and to obey Jesus, to be changed from what we were to what we might become. I thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You want me to wait? I just won't have them stand and sing. Yeah, you thought I was going to, it's 1030. Yeah, you thought I was just going to, you know, let me tell you something. Major prophets are called major. Minor prophets are called minor. Okay, I'm a major preacher. All right, that's, all right. Stand and sing.
behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and train them for joy. From the ashes we just ask people to be a part of the worship team. I'm not sure I just did the greatest uh, advertisement for that. No, really, it is a lot of fun. Uh, be a part of that, definitely. Don't mess it up, okay? Don't screw it up. No, I'm kidding. Um, we have a challenge that we all do in front of us, and it's not about 
somebody else or something else. It's about responding to the correction of God in our lives. It's about pursuing holiness. It's not about pursuing happiness. It's not about pursuing perfection. It's about pursuing holiness, living up to the righteousness that we've been granted. This was the challenge that Habakkuk was wrestling with. And it's something that the Israelites had to go through because God cared that much about them to do these things, not to them, but for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we get the chance to learn. We thank you that we get the chance to praise Jesus as one body. We thank you that we get the chance to laugh and to joke. But Father, we realize that right here, right now, is an incredible gift that you've granted us. Nobody, not everybody gets this chance to come together, to feast on your word, to be challenged for the pursuit of wisdom and holiness and obedience to Christ. Help us, Father, as we leave this place to look at our lives, to know what's important, to pursue the character of Jesus. It's in his name that we come before your throne. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, before we get too far into things, I want to remind you of a couple, a couple of things. I know that you've read and heard some announcements, but I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight. Tonight is the uh, Logan County Youth Worship Night, um, and this is going to be at the Indian Lake High School, uh, the auditorium there at the Indian Lake High School. And I know that a couple of advertisements somewhere have been floating around uh, with a, an incorrect time on them. Uh, so I want to just make sure you're aware. This is tonight from 5.30 to 8. Okay, 5.30 to 8. Again, it's at the Indian Lake High School there in the auditorium. It's, it's focused primarily on students, uh, you know, the teenager age group. Uh, but anyone can be there. Uh, you know, if you want your kids to be a part of that and you want to take them, by all means, you're welcome there. Uh, and you can listen to that. And, uh, Cody's going to be there. He's going to be a part of what they're doing. Um, he's going to be talking about the significance of prayer and, and a few other things. So I would encourage you to be, but that's tonight at the Indian Lake High School Auditorium from 530 to 8 o'clock. Uh, also, September 17th kicks off a new year of collide on sunday evening uh, five o'clock is when they're eating their meal that's a different time they used to eat at five thirty. now they're going to eat at five o'clock here your your kids your students and then collide is from seven or five thirty to seven thirty. so keep those things in mind you already heard about WrestleMania, but that's a great place to help if you want to serve this body in some way and you're not sure where you want to serve uh, I don't think there's a better place to serve than helping to instruct, build up, doing your part to teach kids about Jesus. Teach kids about Jesus, and it's much better chance. It's not guaranteed, right? But it's a much better chance when they get older, they'll believe in Jesus. <laughs> the way it works. And when they're when they're of age to make 
that decision. Uh, so you can be a part of that. And you can build your kingdom, right? Build, you can, w- store up treasures. Store up treasures in heaven. See, that's what I think. I think Jesus is talking about people. I really do. When he says, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven, I think he's talking about people. Uh, use your time, use your life uh, to introduce people to Jesus. Now, you can't make the decision for them, uh, but you can do what you can to help and to lead all of those wonderful things, storing up treasures uh, in God's eternal kingdom. But ultimately, it comes down to their decision, it comes down to your decision to accept Christ or not accept Christ. Uh, we went to, had the chance to go to a, a, a game, football game yesterday, high state game. Uh, Sam's first, so that was a lot of fun to watch him do that. You've probably been to high state games. You know how it goes. You mortgage the house, buy some tickets, go to the game. That's, that's how it goes. Didn't used to be that way, but that's the way it is now. Um, and he liked it. It was a lot of fun. It, you know, that initial, you know, amazing scene, you know, pointing out different things. Uh, to him there and different traditions and uh, it's all this stuff. It was a lot of fun. But one of the things we talked about, uh, well, I talked to Sam about, I didn't talk to Ashley about this because she was, Sam was sitting in the middle and Ashley was down there and I was down here. So we couldn't, that was three feet away. We can't have a conversation. You can't have this conversation in the shoe with somebody three feet away. It ain't going to work. All right. Uh, so I was talking to him. He would talk, you know, back and forth, you know, what'd she say? What? What? She, what? You know, but we got to talking about different things. And one of the things that he liked uh, was the precision of everything, the precision of the the, the players, the precision the precision of uh, doing their job, uh, where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, even the precision of uh, of the marching band. You know, uh, Script Ohio and all that stuff. He just loved that that everybody was where they were supposed to be, doing it the right way. And, and they made it look easy. You know, that's how it is when you get to that level and, and the level beyond that. It, it, they almost they make it look easy. And we've been talking about, we had the, the opportunity then to talk a little bit about discipline. And just discipline, whether it's something like this or whether it's in school or whatever it is. I told him, I said, look, they have coaches and they have, we got, we got guys, we got folks in this church who, who coach football and, and, and little kids and things like that. Everybody has coaches or teachers or one thing or the other. And they, they guide, they instruct, they help. But eventually every person has to make the decision whether they're going to put in the work and the effort or they're not. Nobody can make you do that. There isn't anybody, you've heard this a thousand times before. There isn't anybody in the world that can make that decision in your mind and in your heart. They can't make the decision in your mind and your heart to care about the pursuit of holiness. They can talk to you about it. They can teach you about it. They can teach you the wonderful things about it, the horrible things, this, that. But nobody can put the desire in you. Nobody can put the decision to pursue holiness, Christ-likeness. That is only you, only you. And it's not a competition between you and someone else, right? We've talked about this before. We like to compare our best day to everybody else's worst day and say that we're not doing too bad, right? It's, it's not a competition. 
It's about the person, each individual. Do you want to pursue holiness or do you not? In other words, do you know what it means to be spiritually mature or are you content going through the rest of your life being spiritually immature? We look at a little bit of this today as we see Habakkuk's second complaint to God and how really, even though God's going to use the Babylonians, the Babylonians have nothing to do with it. This pursuit of Christ-likeness in Israel's life. This, this, this correction that God wants for them. The Babylonians really are just going to be the instrument that God uses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Father, that you give us a challenge um, today, that you give us a challenge uh, throughout our lives to either pursue holiness or not. And so, Father, I would ask today you do convict us if we're not already. Convict us to pursue Christ-likes, to want to be and hold ourselves to that standard of being like Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Um, we looked at Habakkuk last week a little bit, and this is going to be our last week with Habakkuk, and then we're going to move on to Nahum. Nahum will be next week as he prophesies against the Assyrians. Uh, but right now, this will be our last look at Habakkuk. Job part two is what I've called this. Uh, Nahum is Jonah part two, uh, but Habakkuk is Job part two. And again, there's just a lot of similarities in Habakkuk's complaint and God's response, and Job's complaint and God's response. But we looked a little bit of Habakkuk yesterday. He looks around at his own people. He's not looking at some other culture. He's not looking at you, what you and I would call the bad guys or some other country or some other this or that. No, he's looking at his own people, those who profess the name of God. That's who Habakkuk's looking at. And that's what he brings to God himself with the complaint. All around me, I see treachery. All around me, I see injustice. All around me, I see debauchery. And he asks God, what are you going to do about this? This has been going on for, this has been going on my whole life, he says. And throughout history. At what point, God, are you going to step in and chastise your people, correct them, discipline, even punish them? Because I'm really getting sick of what I'm seeing. That's what Habakkuk's saying about the people who profess the name of the one true God. And God says, all right, Habakkuk, I will do what you ask. I was going to do this anyway. <laughs> there have been prophets that have come before you, Habakkuk, that have already prophesied about what I'm going to do. This is just going to happen in your day. But I knew this from the beginning of time, that this is what was going to happen. So I'm going to use the Babylonians to correct you. You want revival, I'm going to send judgment. I'm going to use the Babylonians to lay waste to your land, lay waste to your nation. Today we look at Habakkuk's response to that answer. And his response is basically, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what I was talking about. That's not the picture I had in my head when I was praying to you for correction. The Babylonians are worse than we are. How, or rather, why are you going to use them to correct us? 
What happens if they succeed? What are people going to think? What are people going to say? Look at Habakkuk chapter 1, starting in verse 12. So God has already told Habakkuk, I'm going to send the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, it's all the same people. I'm going to send them to correct the Israelites. And in the process, they, they, they wipe out a lot of different nations. They start in the north and move their way south. Um, but in any event, Habakkuk's response then to this, this is his second complaint. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? In other words, don't you know everything? You, you've been around forever. You know everything. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Verse 13, but, but your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? And I like this line right here. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You see, he's looking at his people realizing that they're not living up to a holy standard that they can live up to. And he says, I want correction. God says, I'm going to send correction. And Habakkuk says, great, but not from them. Because as bad as we are, we're still better than they are. Habakkuk, this is not a competition between you and them. This is about your own heart. This is about your own mind. This is about your own people's heart. Their correction, their discipline, their pursuit of holiness. Doesn't matter what everybody else is doing, whether you think you're better or worse than they are. This is about the correction of Israel. Correction of the people who claim Call upon the name of the one true God. He describes them, by the way. He says, you've made people like the fish of the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. Verse 15, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. Talking about the Babylonians. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. That is, the Babylonians are, are, are praising their own violence and their own, their own power. That's their God. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? This is not what Habakkuk had in mind. Let me ask, does God answer prayer? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've heard people say this. Well, and I've had conversations with people about this. Many times the statement is made or the, the reflection on an issue or problem or something in life. Well, God answered my prayer. Or that was an answer to prayer. But almost every time I hear this, it happens when the situation turned out the way the person wanted well god answered prayer well yeah rarely do i have conversations of someone who is disciplined chastised corrected made to be stronger and still come in and say well god answered prayer god answered prayer right church that's reality if it were up to us if we were in Habakkuk's spot, we would say, God's not answering our prayer. Oh, yes, he is. He's just answering it with the Babylonian army. He's correcting. He's rebuking. He's chastising. He's teaching. He's strengthening. He's disciplining. 
so that he doesn't lose the people he loves and cares about. Yeah, I got answered prayer. He just doesn't answer the way you want. But I would rather that than to have him silent. Because there's silence as well. You see, that's a big difference between God answering prayer and God being silent on the issue. See, there's a time... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on. That's a wonderful point I want to make later. Let's continue on. (laughs) Habakkuk knows that the Babylonians coming in, this is going to be judgment on the Israelite people. But he also knows it's not going to be annihilation. It's not going to be abandonment either. It will be correction, and it's going to be a harsh correction. He does trust God. That's what verse 12 is there that he's talking about. But God's answer leaves Habakkuk a little perplexed, really even more perplexed than he was before. There's an affront to the holiness of God by his own people. Habakkuk wants revival. God's sending judgment. All right, fair enough. At least I can get on board with that. So far, so good. But God's going to use a people far worse than the Israelites to correct them. And just so God is aware, Habakkuk reminds God of the Babylonians and what they're like. Habakkuk thinks that this should not be tolerated. Nor should this be the answer for correction. Based upon God's holiness, the helplessness of God's people, and the pride of the enemy. So we know God answers prayers, just sometimes not in the way we like. Does God correct you? Has he corrected you? Have you ever been corrected by God and could you see the correction? Did you care enough to see the correction? I'll tell you, there have been times in my head, and I mean times in my head even even ministering here, I actually said this out loud one time with uh, with, uh, somebody here at the church. You know, we're talking about this, and I said, hey, look, it's time for us to take our medicine. It's time for us to take our medicine. You know, it's always a lot of fun maybe when the elders are sitting around and they say, John, we need to talk. Oh, jeez, what? (laughs) Time to take your medicine. Correction. Discipline. Being made stronger. God corrects you all the time. The problem is sometimes we just miss it or we don't care about it or we don't respond to it. Sometimes we think it's just bad things happening or maybe God not caring about us. No, many times it's correction. Because he cares about and he loves us. And he doesn't want to abandon us. It's not an affront to our pride. Sometimes we think it is, right? We always want to blame somebody else. It's somebody else's fault. Or we can wrestle and truly try to understand what God's doing. Why he's doing it. And what we need to learn. We've talked about Hebrews chapter 12 quite a bit uh, over the years. five Five through six says this. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone that he accepts. I don't want God to be silent. Even with what I see as the bad stuff. I don't want abandonment. I don't want to be given over. We can be tempted to look at evil in our life, the evil people that cross our paths or the the bad guys, if you will. 
we can be tempted to look at the times we suffer and the times that things don't go our way, and we can think that maybe evil is winning. But if we heed the correction that God wants us to heed in that moment, is that necessarily the case? You see, for a moment, it's almost as though Habakkuk sees this the way we may see it, a competition between the righteous and the unrighteous, comparing ourselves to those who hate God and suggesting that we are better, and therefore, we should be corrected differently or maybe avoid correction altogether. But it's not a competition between the Israelites and the Babylonians. Matter of fact, if you, notice, if you really look at the whole context and where this argument started, the Babylonians have nothing to do with it. They have nothing to do with it. God's just going to allow that to happen to correct the Israelites, the people that are in this special relationship with him. The evil, the bad, the something that God allows to come into your life really isn't the issue anyway. He cares so much that he's willing to do this, not to the Israelites, but for them. I'm not going to lose you. And I'm going to correct you along the way. Babylonians are simply a tool that God's going to allow to be used. They made their own decisions. Keep this in mind, too. God is not manipulating the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. He's not manipulating the mind of the Chaldeans. They're making the decision to do this. But in God's will, remember, when we talk about God's will, we're talking about his desire or his permission, right? His desire or his allowance. He's simply allowing them to carry out the decision they've made so that he can correct the people that profess his name. And by the way, you ought to read, um, you ought to read Daniel. Read chapter 4 of Daniel. We'll read all of Daniel. But chapter 4 talks about Nebuchadnezzar and how even though he ends up punishing the Babylonians ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar, he actually deals rather lightly with the guy that's really kind of banging the drum behind this whole thing. He makes him go crazy for seven years, and then in those seven years, Nebuchadnezzar is corrected and professes the name of God in his own life. It's an interesting thing. So even though he's going to allow the Babylonians to do this, he's going to end up punishing the unrighteous, but in a very just way. You've got to see the whole story. You've got to read the whole story. It's really quite fascinating. So, this is about the correction of you, not those around you. It's about the correction of the Israelites. It's about the fact that he loves those that he accepts. We can get tempted to say that he's bad and I'm good, and therefore bad things happen to me, and God has nothing to do with it. But again, look at the whole story. This is not about the outward affliction that's going to happen. It's about the inward correction that God wants for the Israelites. Hebrews 12, 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? It's true. It's true. The child that's not disciplined by their parents is the child who is unloved. Right? Or at least the parents love themselves more. 
but God disciplines us. You know, that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount was. It wasn't about this competition between people. It wasn't about what you look like or the, the you know, make sure you follow this specific letter of the law regardless of your heart. It was about the condition of each individual person's heart and their pursuit of holiness, Christ-likeness. That's what Jesus was getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. It's about your holiness before God. It's not about your holiness compared to others' holiness. It's certainly not compared to the lack of holiness from instruments of God's correction. And no one else in your life is going to hold you to this standard. Nobody. 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 Your spouse isn't going to do it. Your kids aren't going to do it. Church ain't going to do it. Preacher's certainly not going to do it. It's you. It's your mind, your heart, your decision, your maturity or lack of maturity. What do you care most about? The pursuit of holiness or the pursuit of building your own kingdom? None of this is to earn our salvation. I'm not talking to people who don't know Jesus, right? That's not who Habakkuk's talking about. Habakkuk's talking about the Israelites, people who already profess the name of God. None of this is about earning salvation. It's about living up to the righteousness that you have been granted. That's our goal. It's not even about being good, right? It's about being righteous, being put in a right standing before God. What we learned last week, righteous and good are not the same thing. You're not good, so get over it. But if you've accepted Jesus, you are put in a right standing before God because of the gift that he gave you. Now let's live up to it. Now let's live up to it. Never be good under the correction in your prayer, wasn't it? You caught it, too. I noticed that when you were praying. You were going to say, we'll never be right enough. Then you stopped and said, you know, be good enough. You're right. You're right. <laughs> we will be right enough. We're right enough when you accept Jesus. We're not good enough, but we're right enough. And we are to pursue righteousness in our life, and each individual needs to be doing this. Now, when Habakkuk hears this response, when we experience correction in our own lives, we could be filled with some sort of an attitude. We could claim that God is unjust because he's sending the Babylonians. We could rest on our own pride. We could pretend that God doesn't care. Or, again, we can wrestle with the questions of why and what am I supposed to learn, and we can take the same tack as Habakkuk. Look at the final statement of Habakkuk. when He didn't fully understand what God was doing and why he was doing it, but he wanted to. And after he makes his second complaint, his second complaint is, why the Babylonians? He says this, chapter 2, verse 1, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. What answer I am to give to my own complaint after I hear what God's going to say. That's wisdom. That is wisdom. That's spiritual maturity. I will wait upon or I will seek the correct answer from God. And not only that, I will station myself on the ramparts. In other words, I'm going to learn and then I'm going to tell and teach others from this lesson I'm going to learn in my humility. I will be ready with God's answer, his instruction, the things that I need to learn. And I'll tell it, you have ramparts too. Your first rampart, your own mind, your own heart. To take in the correction of God, to apply it to your life and be changed by it. That's your first guard. That's your first thing that's in your, your charge. 
But you have other ramparts in your life. You have your friends and your loved ones. You have your family, your kids, your grandkids. I'm going to take these corrections that God has shown me. I'm going to take these answers. I'm going to take this waiting on God. I'm going to take this wrestling to understand the will of God in my life. And I'm going to tell and teach others because of it. I'm not just going to let this disappear. That's the wise person. Of course, the opposite of the wise person is the fool. I hope you consider yourself wise. I hope you thirst for wisdom, skillful living. And then God answers the second complaint. He's waiting patiently for this answer. Why the Babylonians? And God's answer is this. Or what are you going to do after you send the Babylonians? Verse 2 through 3, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. God is about to reveal to Habakkuk what's going to happen to his oppressors. He's about to reveal to Habakkuk what's going to happen to the Babylonians. The Babylonians are working on their own. They made their own decision. God is allowing that to happen in order to correct the Israelites. But they are also acting, being, treating themselves as though they are unrighteous and affront to God. And so he's going to correct or even punish the oppressors as well. God's allowing these things in order to discipline, to keep this sharp edge on his people. Judgment is coming on the Babylonians as well. He wants this revelation given to the one on the ramparts so that he can do his job telling and teaching and training others. He says, be ready to write this down and spread this word to give others the knowledge that God is on his throne and is not unjust. And what he's about to say is going to happen. I love that line, though it linger, wait for it. I'm about to tell you but though this judgment lingers for a while, just wait for it. Hold on. Now, that's the same thing we see in Asaph and Psalms. It's just one of my favorite passages in Scripture, Psalm 73. And this won't be on your screen, but he wrestles with the same thing that Habakkuk's wrestling with. Why does it seem like the bad guys win all the time? Why are you sending people less righteous than us to correct us? Why does it seem like they have no cares? Why does it seem like everything seems to go their way all the time? And Asaph finally comes to this understanding. It was not until I entered the Lord's sanctuary that I understood about the unrighteous. He understands that the, pri the prideful are corrected. The prideful, he says, are brought low eventually because of God's perfect timing, because of God's perfect righteousness and the glory he wants for himself. Habakkuk's really wrestling with this same thing. God's about to tell him the unrighteous are going to be brought low. Though it linger, wait for it. He tells Habakkuk that the Babylonians, the person who is correcting the people that profess the name of God, may be someone in your life who is opening your eyes and correcting your righteousness, your pursuit of righteousness. He tells Habakkuk that the Babylonians will be punished as well for their wickedness. He says this through verses 6 through 20 of chapter 2, but there's three verses, verses 16, 17, and 20, that really kind of sum up 
God's response to Habakkuk's second complaint. In verse 16 and 17, he says this. You, he's talking to the Babylonians. He's talking to Habakkuk about the Babylonians. He says, you will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you, that's a whole other line that we need to talk about one of these days. Uh, for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. And he's talking to the Babylonians. In other words, you're going to be allowed to do what you want to do in order to correct these people, but then my hand is turned on you. And you're going to be punished as well. You're going to see my righteous right hand. Are the righteous today not given this same promise? Habakkuk is a righteous man. And he's going to feel the brunt of the Babylonians as well. Everybody is. But he gets a promise that the Babylonians are going to be chastised as well. That he's not going to forget Habakkuk and his people. The righteous today get the same promise. The understanding that Asaph has in the Psalms. The return and judgment of Christ. That's the promise that the righteous had today. The judgment poured out on evil. Romans chapter 1. The glory of Zion. By the way, Romans chapter 1 is where we read about the difference between God chastising those he loves and God saying, have it your way. That's judgment. God saying, have it your way. You know what? You want to reject me long enough? Eventually, God says, you're on your own. That's judgment. People love it, too. But what's God doing? Giving them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not be done. That's judgment. He doesn't do that with the Israelites. He doesn't do that with the people who profess the name of Christ. He says, no, 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 you stay on the practice field. You and I, were doing some extra laps. Right? We don't like the extra laps. I don't like the extra laps. Right? I don't like walking down the end of the lane and get my mail. Okay? So the Christian, God says, no, we're still at this. We're still at this. It's what he does with the Israelites. It's what he does for you and me. The glory of Zion is promised to us, those who persevere to the end. It's about perseverance. It's not about perfection. A new name, new clothes, the banquet at our Father's table, while those who practice lawlessness are separated and cast out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But church, though it linger, wait for it. Though it linger, wait for it. Be corrected by evil men. Be corrected by evil men. Because God's righteous right hand is going to be shown to them as well. Though it linger, wait for it. Lost my place here. It happens. Second Peter chapter 3, you've heard this before. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to repentance. Yes, even the evil that he uses, the evil people that he may use or allow to correct the righteous, he wants them to come to repentance as well. And so he's patient. 
Though it linger, wait for it. He's patient. And he wants you and them and everybody to come to repentance. They may be your enemy, but I'll tell you this. You want to know the best way to destroy your enemy? Hands down, number one, best way to destroy your enemy, and it's effective every single time. Make your enemy your friend. Or in our case, accepting Jesus, make your enemy your family. He wants everybody to come to repentance. And so he's patient in this judgment that he promises to you and me as well as promises to Habakkuk here. He's patient. So don't let anybody pretend or don't let anybody suggest that they're keeping you from a pursuit of righteousness. All right? That there's some sort of animosity and some sort of unforgiven something that keeps you from the throne of Christ. This is about your correction, about your pursuit of holiness. So if there is something like that in your life, this is a very important piece of advice for you. Get over it. Right? The world spins on the shoulders of people who just get over it, doesn't it? It does. Get over it. And pursue righteousness. Pursue holiness. Regardless of what the rest of the world does. Right? He wants everybody to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. This is just like the Chaldeans coming into Israel. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And God, as he gives this answer to Habakkuk, as he gives this answer to you and me, as he helps remind Habakkuk, look, it's about your correction, your people's correction. I'm going to go ahead and correct them later, but right now we're focusing on you. Habakkuk's unsure, unclear as to why God's doing this. As he sums up this answer, he says this in verse 20, this incredible finality. The Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. He says this to Habakkuk. He says, buddy, I've spoken. Now be silent. He is running his kingdom. He's running the kingdom that you and I live in. And you either accept that or you don't. You either trust that or you don't. And there's going to be a lot of things he allows to happen that you don't fully understand. Same thing Habakkuk is is going through. But your job, my job, is to trust that he loves you, trust that he's forgiven you, and trust that he cares about his eternal kingdom of which you are a part. He says, look, I've spoken. What does he say to Job multiple times? Job, you mind? Let me, let me run my cosmos here. Have a seat. Let me do this. He says the same thing here, only it's really in a very, it ends the conversation. The Lord is in his temple. Let the earth be silent before him. It's another way of saying, look, I've had enough. We're doing it my way, and you trust me. That's what he says to you and me. 
And there ought to be a great deal of peace with that, that you don't have to have all the answers or understand every single thing that God's going to do, but you can trust his goodness and his righteousness and his justice and his forgiveness and his mercy and his wrath and his patience and all of these wonderful characteristics of God in your life. It's a promise he's given to you. You can fill your life with anxiety if you want to. But I'm not going to. Just trust him. Trust him. It's the pursuit of holiness to be like Jesus. The righteous will live by faith. Sometimes we might say that God doesn't answer us the way he answers Habakkuk because this is very clear cut. I mean, he's, he's writing this down. He's speaking it to him. But he doesn't answer us maybe in the same way. The truth is he does. And right here is the answer. This is what he is telling you. This is what he is telling me. It's his word. This is the way he is speaking to you. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. And that herald about the incredible justice of God has been running all over the world to your heart and mind, to your home and to this church for 2,600 years. And here he is. This is the answer. Heed the correction of God though it may be by evil men, and rely and trust upon the promises of God's righteousness. That's our job. That's your role. And if you do that, it actually brings a great deal of peace to your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you, Father, for this, this challenge that you've given to, to us. As I mentioned to you last service, Father, I was challenged. Um, with my trust reading through these things and, and so father I ask that someone else here may give just that much more of their life over to Jesus today may trust Jesus even more when we see that so many of the same questions that we wrestle with are the very same questions that that your prophets wrestled with and yet you came through every time help us father in our own life when we are corrected to be humbled by it to heed your correction, but also know that nothing, nothing, nothing will take away the love and promise of Jesus Christ in our life. I thank you, Father. Build our trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Behind your regrets and 
You know, step one of this eternal kingdom is accepting the truth of Jesus, being made righteous and being saved. But at some point in your life, you, you do have to ask the question, okay, what now? What now? And that's, again, growing in spiritual maturity, the pursuit now of holiness, a response, not to earn, a response to that salvation that you've been given. And there ain't anybody in the world who's going to do that for you, Right? the pursuit of holiness. Now look, nobody ever claimed it's going to be easy. But if it was easy, everybody would do it. When you accept Jesus, or when you accepted Jesus, don't forget, you were called. You were called, and there was something about you that answered that call. So there's no way that God says the pursuit of holiness is outside of your grasp. It's beyond you. You were called 
and you were that person that answered that call. So you can pursue holiness in your own life. If you're like me, you're probably going to mess it up once or twice, right? But praise God that we are forgiven by Jesus. That's what that's for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you, and we thank you that you have given us eternal life through Jesus Christ. We thank you that your son died to make us right in your sight. Now, Father, call us again in our own heads, our own hearts, our own minds, regardless of what anybody else knows or thinks or says, that we will pursue holiness, righteousness, that we will want to be like Jesus. And that will be a special journey, a special goal in our own life. We know you've already saved us. Help us live up to that. In Jesus' name. Come set your rule.